Andy Bastian. And I'm Aubrey Calvin. And this is Southern Queries. Exploring all things LGBTQ in the South. Hey, India, who are we talking to today? Hey, Aubrey. So we are talking to Veronica Garza, also known as Vero's Got Jokes. Um, and how did you and, and what, how did you get to know her or meet her? Yeah, so <laughs> I did that thing that I do. I just like walked up to them and introduced myself. <laughs> oh my God, the thing you, ugh, how do you extroverts do that? It's so, that sounds so scary, but you just do it. I, half of our guests are just people you walk up to. Yeah, well, to be fair. Or email. Um, yeah, well, that too. Um, I performed at a Pride event called um, Pride Variety Night. Variety? Variety. I can't even say the word. Variety Night. <laughs> at the Union Dallas. And Vero was part of the lineup of queer performers. And their set was so hilarious. Um, it was like raw, it was crass, um, and it was very intersectional, um, both with her lesbianism and being uh, Mexican American. It was incredibly relatable, at least to me. Um, so I was like crying, laughing. So after her set, I did that thing. I just like walked up to her and was like, hi, we should be friends. Also, would you be on my podcast? <laughs> you make it sound so easy. <laughs> it was fun. I don't know. I like meeting people. So let's welcome Veto to the show. Yes. I love talking to her. So let's get into this interview. Veronica, who's the pupper? That's my buddy. Uh, that's Colin. That's my dog. Um, he, he's super cute. He's very sweet. He he um he saw that I got like so excited. Um, so whenever that happens, he's either like calm down or I want to get in this. Like yeah, um, he's a very sweet dog. He's so sweet and he's super cute. Um, he's over there now. Um, but yeah, that's my pup. That's my son. <laughs> awesome. Well, first that's of awesome. all, thank you so much for of taking course. the time with us. Of course. Um, Aubrey was unable to come with me for the actual um, uh, Pride Variety Night, but I've been raving about it to her. Oh, you're, so, you're, you're so kind in how you said that, unable to come. You didn't want to go. You had better things to do. Just say it. I'm an introvert with social anxiety. I don't go anywhere. Hey, you, you know your space. I love it. I'm like, I, no, I don't. I, I had a lot of like meetings and work and interviews and stuff and writing that week. So I was just, it got to Friday and I said, I don't have the spoons for this. I'm out. <laughs> I just don't have it in me. And at least you recognize so, that. Yes. Cause there's nothing worse than someone who's at a fun event, who's not having fun and it's bringing everybody down. Right. So exactly. I just said, you know what, I'm going to bounce and not do this one. <laughs> Well, um, one of the things I was raving about to Aubrey was your set. Um, Thank you. So much about your set that I found so relatable, particularly for my own experience. Um, Plus, I was like dying laughing. (laughs) I mentioned earlier, I'm from Texas. Uh, For those who haven't been, the best way for me to describe it is earlier this year there was an article or a news story about this woman in East Texas. 
She came home one day after dinner and she found a rattlesnake in her kitchen. And she called animal control and down in the basement they found 45 rattlesnakes. <laughs> um, but the, the most interesting part of this is there's a video from the employee of animal control. He has his phone and he scrolls across the room. And as he's saying it, the only thing he says is, that's a lot of snakes. <laughs> All right. Veronica Garza is a Brooklyn-based stand-up comedian who is originally from Dallas, Texas. She performs all over New York City and has been featured on NPR, Sirius XM, and The Daily Mail. Follow her on Instagram at Veros Got Jokes. That is Veros underscore got underscore jokes, where she posts too many pics of her cute dog. <laughs> I don't know why I paused. in this form then yes uh i feel special this is great well i'm i'm veronica garza my pronouns she her um i identify as a lesbian cool like a, a basketball lesbian if you have to go specific uh but yeah that's, I know, I I, that's a new one to me what's a basketball <laughs> lesbian and is that different than a softball lesbian it is just a lesbian like that, I loves, to college with. <laughs> that loves the game i love basketball oh like, okay. that's my sport but also i just i mean it's I always say the genre I fall into is sporty. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm one of those. I, I love, you know, any type of, you know, I just, I grew up playing sports and I mean, that didn't make me gay, but maybe it did. Uh, but also, I mean, I'm a huge WNBA fan. I mean, uh, I, basketball is a sport I grew up in, so I love it. I Sports, like that's my thing. Like my, one of my favorite things is going to a bar and watching a game, you know, by myself. Uh, but so that's the gay I identify as. Cool, cool, I love awesome. It. Um, where are you from and where did you grow up? Like, tell us about your okay. life. I am originally born, uh, my parents actually are from Brownsville, uh, but they moved to Dallas in like the late seventies, early eighties, but I was born in Houston and then, uh, I grew up in Pleasant Grove. Uh, so I am a product of DISD, Dallas Independent School District. I went, I graduated from Skyline High School. And then um, from there, I went to uh, the University of Kansas. And then when I graduated from KU, I moved back to Dallas for a couple of years. And You're then a Jayhawk. I, that is correct. Well, Rock so that, shock. So, that, so that's why you like basketball? Okay, so that, that's my thing since now. Look at you're this. You're a Jayhawk. Oh, my God. One of the top basketball programs ever, inventor of basketball. Okay, you're a Jayhawk. You're Thank so you butch so. now, Aubrey. I love it. Since now. I went, to, I went to Oklahoma State, so. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you get it. Yeah, I went to Oklahoma All State. All right. Yeah, I, um, Lawrence is a very cute, beautiful town, but that's part of the reason I went there was, well, I wanted to get out of Texas. I wanted to like not have, all of my friends were going to UT and I don't know if either one of you went there. I don't really like a lot of people that went there. Uh, they are disgusting. It's mainly the straights. You've seen them. Um, horrible. So I would, I just, it did not, it was not appealing to me. And Lawrence was super cute. It was a typical college town. And, and I got like a, a very interesting experience from it. But uh, yeah, part of the reason is actually the inventor of basketball, Dr. James A. Naismith, is buried on the campus there. And he actually, you know, he coached 
at that university. Um, so yeah, it, that also is part that like for me, I nerded out a little bit with that, but yeah. Um, and it's a great basketball school. It's one of the best places to ever watch college basketball. Um, even if you don't like sports, it's just a great experience. And I like that whole idea, like that, like camaraderie of like, you know, just like fans loving their team. Like, you know, you've seen Cowboys fans. Uh, we're disgusting, but same thing. Well, yes. Well, you know, I, I, I get that. You know, I've been to Lawrence a few times. Beautiful campus, very friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm in Oklahoma State, so we're used to supporting our teams. But when I went, we weren't winning that much in football, but oh, we wow. were winning a lot in basketball. So I'm used to supporting the winning and the losing. So I get that's the, right. I get that. I do. That's fun. <laughs> so uh, what? Wh- where are you now and what got you into um, being a stand-up comic? Um, well, currently I'm, I'm in Brooklyn. Um, I Actually, this weekend, uh, today is my 10-year anniversary of moving to New York City. Wow. Uh, it's like, it's like for That's me and my... Thank you. And like, uh, it's it, for me, it's just for me, it means a lot. Like I've cried about it because I'm like, oh, you're still here, V. You're still doing it. Like this is this is like my home now. Like Texas has my heart, but like New York City is my home. Like this is my like city. I love this place. But um, in regards to stand up comedy, like I grew up being very funny. I'm the middle child, uh, Mexican-American. I have two brothers. Right. Right. Oh, with MCC, middle child crew. <laughs> Yes, American, keep going. All right, Ooh, child. I didn't know we had a crew. All right, we do now. Great, no. You're part of it. It's there's no type of initiation. You just have to claim it. But uh, middle child crew, yeah, the middle child, uh, Mexican American, um, and we're like fourth generation. But um, yeah, I'm like growing up, and I guess like a Latino family. It's it's. Uh, I mean, they talk a lot of shit, and I mean, obviously, their love language is like shit talking. So especially me having two brothers and being the only girl, like, you know, we're talking trash all the time, which isn't completely healthy. And I'm aware of that. I go to therapy. Um, so I mean, you, that's it's great. But also just me being like, you know, what they deemed a tomboy growing up, like always playing basketball. I would get picked on to be like, oh, you look like a boy. And it's like, oh, my gosh, what the shit people used to say. But like, oh, you act like a dude. Do-do-do-do-do. Oh, you must like girls, blah, blah, blah. Like all this shit. And, you know, I, I got into a couple of fights when I was a kid, but also like learn to be mouthy as hell and I mean I know I'm still kind of mouthy I've learned to shut up because you know adults but the thing is I um I create I you know humor became a defense mechanism and I would uh you know I my mom would transfer me out to like different schools because I was playing basketball at different elementary schools and they eventually got me to school in Oak Cliff that the girls team was like second in the nation shout out Mark Twain elementary school and I get there I didn't know anyone and one of the things that's always broke like broke the ice for me as a kid was just me being kind of funny and like cracking jokes and kids laughing. And then I noticed like, oh, that was my thing. And randomly people, you know, you're growing up, people, oh, you should be a comedian, you should be a comedian, but you don't know what that means, right? I had no idea what that meant. You know, I liked SNL. Um, I thought it was funny. I would see stand-up comedians. I'd be like, oh, this is cool. And then I signed up uh, for improv with the Dallas Comedy House when I was like 24, 25. Um, I don't know if y'all had ever been to there, like to that spot that was, it's in Deep Ellum. Yep, been there. Been yeah, there. yeah. Yes. And so I went, like Amanda Austin and Kyle Austin, the original owners and creators of it, they were my improv 101 teachers. And this was before they actually had this space in Deep Ellum. This was in the back of uh, Ozona Bar and Grill on Greenville. I don't know if you know where that is, but there's yep. a space. 
stage back there. And that's where I took improv 101. And I remember once at a class, I had a notebook with me because I had these ideas. Like I, w- I would, like, I also was just like, I'm, I'm a big runner. Like, that's my thing. That's how I get my ideas. That's just how I like bring myself down and bring myself up in some sense. So I would go out on runs and I had these ideas. And I'm like, oh, this is funny. You know what? I didn't know what improv was either, but mm-hmm. I went and they're like, oh, you, you come up with it as you go. You're on stage. And then I brought a notebook one day. And Amanda said, well, if you have, I was like, well, why'd you bring up that idea? Like, why was that in your head? And I'm like, oh, I thought about it before class. And they're like, well, if you're thinking about stuff like writing it down, you should try stand up. You shouldn't try it. You should try that. So I had that in the back of my head. And I was like, do I really want to try? I'm like, I got to write jokes now. And so I was doing improv and it was cool. Like I realized like I like performing. I like being in front of people, being on stage. I wasn't scared of that. Uh, which was fun. And I originally did it because I have a problem. Well, I had a problem. Now I don't. Now I'm loud as hell. But I used to have a problem with the volume of my voice and talking on the phone at work or just talking to people. I would mumble. And so I kind of thought to myself, everyone, you know, be on stage, go to improv and it'll help you professionally. And it did. It helped me so much. Like even my boss, I was working at some agency in Deep Ellum and they were like, hey, wow, you like you have this phone voice today. And I told them, oh, I've been taking this class. And they're like, oh, are you funny? I, you know, you don't know what to say at that point. So anyway, this is the back of my head. I do uh, the second class, like 201 or whatever of improv at the, like, this is three spaces ago in Deep Ellum. So the first spot at Deep Ellum and it's like, uh, I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it. I wasn't going through a good time in my life. I just wasn't like, I didn't, I wasn't enjoying it the way everyone else was. And I felt weird. And I'm just thinking, I don't, and also I'm just like, I don't want these people on stage with me. I want it to just be me. Um, so I have, you know, I'm, I'm selfish, but, and I'm just thinking, okay, all right. So what are you going to do with this? You want to do stand up? So I start doing research and someone randomly and added me on Facebook. His name's Bobby Frisky. He performs a lot in Dallas still a little short, bald guy. Very sweet. He added me on Facebook randomly, I guess, because we had mutual friends. And I saw that he did stand-up. So I messaged him and asked him about stand-up. And he gave me this great, like, spill about going to a mic. Like, how you you get a drink. You you tip the bartenders well. You're nice to people. I'm, like, I'm nice to people in general. I mean, Texas, we got to be polite. So you yeah. be polite. You know, listen. Don't steal people's material, obviously. Uh, you know, try not to talk about, like, dirty stuff first. Like, learn how to tell a joke. Da-da-da-da. So I looked it up and I found out... Um, what is it? Linda Stogner runs it. And it's like on the Radisson off 75 backdoor comedy. So that's the first place. It was like May 27th, 2011, I think, or 2010. I did all this research and I wrote, well, I went in the week before and I watched people and I was like, I could do this. Like these people aren't that funny. Wait, is that like a really, like a really small kind of venue? Like in the hotel? Mm-hmm. Okay, I've been there. On to the right? Yeah, I went, I went there for a puppet show for my- What? Kids. Yeah, it's a tiny space. Yeah, I totally, I totally know what you're talking about, yeah. <laughs> but my the puppet kids. show was better than this mic. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I'd, I've only been there for the puppet show. You know, I do the parenting thing, so we were- Oh, okay. The parenting thing, so. All right. So that was your first stand-up comedy show? That was the that's, first- It is tiny. That's a tiny venue. It is. Well, it was a mic. It was a mic. Yeah. And I went by yeah. my by myself the week before. And then I introduced myself because I saw the Bobby guy there. And he goes, you going up next week? I was like, what? He goes, sign up so you can do it next week. So I had a week to be like, oh, you got to have three minutes of material, which now I'm like, I could do that now, like three minutes. Okay. But for then it was just so, what the hell are you doing? You signed up for this. And I, uh, I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. Uh, and it was that Thursday. And I just went up. 
and I did my three minutes and, you know, you do the usual, this is my first time, people are supportive and they were supportive as hell and it was great. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is what I want to do. I like this. Like, this is cool. And then the next week, I told I told my parents, they went the next week and I completely bombed. Uh, it was horrible. My mom told me, I don't think you can do this. I don't think you should do this. My mom was like, you weren't funny. And it was horrible. Like when I think about, like I still, I remember this set exactly. And I remember I just went inside my car and I just like screamed like, oh. And then um, this guy messaged me the next week and he was like, okay, you're gonna get on stage again today? I'm like, why? He goes, cause that's what you gotta do. You gotta keep getting on stage. And I kept on like doing it in Dallas, but honestly, if I were to see hear any of my jokes now, I know that they're complete trash um, from like 10 or 11 years ago. I'm like, what the hell was I even talking about? Uh, I was so uncomfortable on stage, like learning how to say things. I was writing jokes. I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to talk about Mexican stuff because I'm Mexican. I'm not like, write what you know. I was writing what I thought the audience wanted. It's like, no, write what's funny to me. And then someone will eventually find it funny. Um, so it was that. And I think it, it had to been no more than a year where I noticed like the Dallas scene and stand-up comedy, I mean, it still is like this, sadly enough. I mean, as much as I see more queer performers every time I go back home, it's still strongly cis white male, uh, straight, um, getting booked for the same shows. Booking, like Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, how are they even getting better? And, uh, you know, occasionally people get to open for people that are like at, hyena at hyenas or, you know, at, at the improvs there. And, these people like are my friends they're opening for that I open up for at like bar shows that we just know each other now, yeah, which is yeah. great. And so seeing I'm like, you can do something in Dallas with comedy if you like create your own niche thing. Because I think there's a huge gap for like queer comedy there that needs to be filled. And so I'm like, maybe I should go home more to help with this. That's like, I'm like, do I? It's something in the back of my head simmering. Yeah, but, but plane tickets are expensive. Right, yeah. exactly. Like I can't be traveling like that. I could write it off, but still I don't want to not have that money on me. Yeah, uh, but, I, but I admire that you said that, and I, I hear this a lot with creatives. You have to start out being bad. And, you know, people say this, whether it's acting or writing or comedy or music, that first few years you're going to be bad at it. Like oh, yeah. the writing, the jokes, it's, you have to be bad and you have to push through because that is the only way to get good. No one starts out amazing. Well, very few people very few, very start few. out just amazing out the gate. You have to start out bombing and wanting to get back on stage, wanting to keep submitting your writing, wanting to keep submitting your acting oh, yeah, because that's the only way to get better as a creative person. Mm -hmm. And so I admire that you just you just kind of push through yeah. and you're finding your voice, but you can't find your voice if you're not on the stage. Right, right, exactly. So I, I love that you just pushed through and kept doing it, you know? Thank you, yeah, yeah. and it's like learning to accept rejection. I mean, bombing is disgusting. It hurts every time. Oh my gosh, But, but do every you still time. want to get back on stage though? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's the thing, and that's, that's the, the thing. thing. You're not that's gonna stop me. I'm like, and it's the thing, like me, like I've mentioned uh, before, like I'm going through this breakup and like, despite how like heartbroken and whatever I am, like I'm still writing jokes. I'm writing about it. I'm talking about it on stage, finding the funny in it. And I'm like, that's how I know, like, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, it's like when you think of like, when I wake up, you know, I'll go to the gym, I'll go for a run. And I'm just thinking of premises before I go to sleep. I'm like, oh, let me, let me, oh, what if I tried this and this stuff is working out or even in the shower, just like things are like working out and they're moving and it's just like constant like oh that's a premise or i'm talking to someone oh that that could be a bit and it's not about me being on it's just organically seeing how things work and thinking about it and always thinking 
when can I try this out on stage next? I got to get stage time. What can I do on this? What can I do? And I mean, that's the good part about New York City is I didn't move here to do comedy. I tried it like my second week here. Mm. Disgustingly bad. Mics here, like some mics, you know, they're horrible. Mics in general are horrible. The ones here, they they purposely try to be like, oh, I'm not listening to you. And I thought I was disgusting. Okay. So I didn't touch the mic again for 15 months. And then I found a spot I wanted to like go on. This was like the old Creek in the Cave. Like this is like nine years ago. And I would hang out and I would do the mics and I, I didn't know anyone. So I would watch other people. And it was cool because like, you know, it's New York City. So people drop in that are actually like reputable that, you know, I've like shit really like that's how they make their money. Like they are actual professionals. Like I'm professional, but still they are like crushing it on a different realm than me. Mm. And uh, seeing them work, being around like New York City is like the best of the best in a lot of things. And being around that, and being around other comics who are like, oh, let's, you know, you can hit three mics a night and doing that and doing that repetitively and knowing that this is what I want to do and eventually getting better, getting booked, finding out how to work with audiences, still bombing regardless and not quitting. Um, right. And then eventually realizing, oh, this is my voice. Oh, this is who I am. Oh, this is what I like to talk about. Oh, this happened to me. Let me, let me try this on stage. And it's weird because I'm not, I, um, I, I, I try to write every day and I, I like writing. And I know that when, like you've seen my set, like a lot of my friends, somebody they go, we can tell you write and you work on your shit. And I'm always like flipping shit. I'm like, every time I go on stage, I'm going to try one thing new. The rest, I'm like, it'll be good, but I got to try something new. Cause I wrote it that day or I wrote it that week. And I just want to be as great as possible in this, but also not just like, I don't, I would love to be successful in it, but I want to, if that happens, I want people like my peers to be like, Oh, yeah, because she's funny, not because she happens to be this, you know, queer Mexican American in Brooklyn from Texas that likes sports. I don't want it to be because I'm so niche or something. I want it to be because I'm actually funny, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah, and totally you, sense. Are, are, you, are you a comedian full time? Uh, no, I was. I did it. I have a day job. I work in media. Uh, when I moved here, that's the good thing. Like my professional job, which ugh, um, I, I know I worked. Uh, I've worked in media agencies. I worked in advertising in Dallas for a bit. And then uh, when I moved here, I kind of like was lucky. I found like a full time job at a really cool media agency. And then from there, I went to an even like bigger media agency. And I was there for like six years. My boss found out I did comedy and he was very supportive. Like I would like when I had to go like when anytime I've had auditions for stuff, he was yeah. very much like, OK, come back. Da, 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 da. Like if I got booked to film something, um, I was like, hey, I got to go. I'm going to this is you know, this one starts till one so I can get my work done. And he was very like supportive of it. And then about in 2018 at the end of 2018 I found myself kind of burnt out because it's basically two full-time jobs yeah. uh and at the same time like I'm, I had this relationship that you know it was at that point we were like you know together for maybe like two years so it was a serious relationship and it's a lot and it's it's constant like on the go on the go on the go like always trying to like make sure you're putting in work and making sure I can keep my day job because you know this country doesn't have universal health care so I need insurance uh that was the main thing another gripe but uh, having that, like that double, and then for a while I was working three jobs because I was working at a running store. Sorry, I'm just like tracing back to like my New York City life, but I was running around everywhere. And then at some point at the end of 2018, I noticed how unhappy and burnt out I was. And I was talking to my dad and my parents at this point had already seen me like perform at Dallas Comedy's house. Like they'd see me like headline there and it'd be sold out shows. Like my parents had seen me do like full half hours and see like how I'm actually good. Like how this is what I'm supposed to do. And I, this is like the most supportive thing my dad has ever told me when I was like, Hey, I think I want to quit my job. I'm not happy there right now. Yeah. I think, and I was getting like, 
I was like, I get paid from comedy. Like it's cool. Like I, it is, a, it's supplemental income. And at the point where I get like, it's a nice amount of change. Like, you know, I don't have to worry about like dinner sometimes for the week or I'm like, I like my sneaker collection is all based on my comedy stuff, which is kind of cool. I'm very proud. <laughs> I'm very proud of like, right. Like these, these Jordans were bought by my jokes. Like oh, that's you're a sneaker head. Oh, okay. oh yeah. I'm a sneaker okay. head. Yeah. So, so uh, that's a whole nother episode, by the way, like <laughs> and sneakers that's a whole okay. episode we could do it's a lot. It's yes. a lot. there's a but lot I there wanna, i do want to ask you about your experience performing at stonewall in mm. 2019 um yeah tell us about that what was that um, like i've performed at stonewall a couple times i'm not gonna lie like uh, that became it wasn't officially my home club but I mean, Stonewall, like the bartender, that's my family, like, uh, up until the pandemic, like after a while, I wasn't paying for drinks there. And it's just like, the first time it's like, oh, shit, you're performing at Stonewall. And then after a while, like, I would just drop in just to watch shows and like the dry queens there, like my boo, Robin Banks and certain people up there, like Paolo, one of the bartenders. Uh, there's a there's a bartender there named uh, Christy, who went, she's, she's like 60. She graduated from Kimball High School. She's from Dallas. Mm. Uh, and she moved to New York City in like 1982 or something. She's been there forever. But um, it, it like I've performed there so many times that that stage, like the most, some of the most comfortable and best sets I've ever had are on that stage upstairs at Stonewall because mm -hmm. I it just became a thing. And I realized like that's a blessing because a lot of people say that like they would love to perform at Stonewall. And it became a very regular thing for me to be there. There was twice a month, at least once a month, just random shows people would know, hey, we'll get Veronica on. Oh, we want to hear your comedy. And I like cool moments. Like it's just, it's a very magical stage and it's, you know, the history there. The coolest, I'll say that one of the coolest moments was, uh, this was, was this New Year's Eve after 2019? That's when Madonna showed up uh, and she was performing upstairs. You were there. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was going to go. We were going to go. Me and my ex were going to go because I'm like, there's nothing to do. And I was like going to go to Stonewall because we wouldn't have to wait like in line or anything. Like I know all, I know all the bartenders like they weren't like charging me drinks. I was like, we can go and have a great time, have a good New Year's and come home. But like New York City on New Year's Eve, like. Crazy. It is a shit show, which is fun. But now I'm like, I've been here long enough. I'm just, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to get near it. No, no, no. But regardless, we almost went. But I had a show the next week. And it was cool because there was like still a little magic on the stage. Like you could feel it, um, which was kind of dope. And that's like the kind of place that it is. If someone goes through there, that's like icon. Like you still feel it. It's still like ruminates I guess or you can still feel like just like even I don't know the aura of it a couple of days later but I've performed at Stonewall a lot and um I don't know the next time I will um I did one of the perform what's his name Gunnar Stretzel his partner is Paolo and Paolo is one of the bartenders at Stonewall um they run a lot of shows there and once they get all the clearance and stuff I know I'm rather sure they're gonna book me for one of their like queer variety shows, which are super fun, but Stonewall's super fun. Every now and then people are there messy upstairs, being drunk, being loud. Cause you know, that's it's just what fun. happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's a very, it's like, I'm blessed to know that I've performed there more than a handful of times and that I feel so comfortable there. So Veronica, oh. I'd love to understand, is there a different feeling performing in more queer centered or focused like spaces and events versus just like straight, spaces or non-queer focused comedy clubs do you find the vibe to be 
Is the crowd different or is like, how can, what's it like? Yeah. Okay. So this is the whole thing. And this is where certain people don't like me. Cause I call this out. Um, I always, so I'm part of this, I'm part of this Facebook group. Just I'll make, this will make sense in like a minute. I'm part of this Facebook group for slow runners. It's called turtle runners. It's a private group. I love it. Everyone's just like, I got out there for 15 minutes. Yeah. Crushed it today. And it's like, everyone's like, hell yeah, you did it. Great. Good job. And I want to, I'll, I'll send it to you. It's, it's so sweet. Just be like, I got out today. And if you didn't feel like getting out, they will be so supportive. I always say, I'm like, they could be, it's like, they're so supportive. Like if I murdered someone and I told them on the Facebook group, they'd be like, well, you know, you tried your best. Like, you know, like that's. Did you hide the body? Like it took okay. you. know, yeah. Don't Aww. worry. You know, you know what? You killed today. Hide it tomorrow. Handle it another day. Like they're so supportive. <laughs> oh my God. Which I appreciate them. Um, for the record, never killed anyone. But uh, <laughs> so they are I once joked I'm like they're so, they're so supportive I was like I, they're so supportive I felt like I was at a queer open mic and I, I say that because like queer open mics are so supportive sometimes that it's like I don't think you can get better it's cool to find out what works with like queer spaces like what jokes but sometimes I find like if you have like three gay dudes in a row going on a show and they're all talking about bottoming, it's like, okay, so like, this is just as boring as the three straight dudes with their Tinder jokes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you still have to be good. Like you can, you got, it's, it's hard because I love queer rooms. Sometimes, sometimes like, like, they're so tight that they don't want to laugh at what I'm saying because they're offended. And it's not that I say anything offensive because I'm very aware of who I am and what boundaries to push because I don't do shock comedy. I talk about my life and my experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I'll talk about like my, my partner, my ex-partner is a white woman. And I would talk about like, you know, queer white woman or white woman. And then I do a queer space and the, the people who uh, identify as women that happen to be white uh, do not enjoy it. And it's one of those things like, you could just have a good time. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's uh, but also the same thing. There can sometimes be super straight audiences that don't want to hear gay shit, you know? Yeah. And, and it's difficult and it's learning to ride that line and be funny in both rooms is what I want. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. So kind of on that same vein, I'd love to hear your coming out story and how did your coming out story affect your um, performance and comedy? Um, so I was pretty slow in the finding out I was gay realm, which that's like the slowest I've ever been on anything. I'm like, bitch, you were born gay. <laughs> like you're so gay. Did you hear my bit? Did I tell you the bit where I talked about how my mom played softball before she was born, before I was born? And I was like, I've been gay since I was a fetus or something like that. Uh, but like she played softball while she was pregnant of me. And um, I mean, but in regards to like growing up, like it's weird because in Texas, like, you know, it they just, they bash gays so much. Unfortunately, they bash any type of queer life. So anything that's not typical, you know, what they say is in the Bible, whatever. Uh, but it, it sucks because when anytime I would be like, you know, I recognize now I had a crush on my best friend when I was 12 years old. Uh, for the record, she's still not married. So there's might be hope. Uh, but 
I, you know, I didn't know then, like, who was it, Fortune 5 scene who was like, has that joke when you'd say, she's like, she's my best friend. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's like the amount, like, anytime she would date a dude, I'm like, he's not good enough for you. And it's like, in your head, it's like, bitch, because you were gay. You like, you wanted her for yourself. But I didn't know that. I didn't recognize that. And even in high school, like, you know, no one really dated me or no one dated me. I didn't wait, know. Wait, wait, is was the best friend gay? Is the best friend gay? She's not, she's, she's very, she's too into the church. I will say uh-huh. this. She, okay. she still right. can't find the right man. Uh, so all I'm saying, okay. I'm like, girl, you haven't tried it. So I don't okay. know. All right. All right. She's, well, when she, okay. If she's she's going to give up when she's 50 and get ready, I will be there. Uh, <laughs> You're just holding out, like just playing the long game. What, what do we call that? The Meredith Baxter. Like, <laughs> she's going to be 63. And I'm like, I'm ready for it. You I'm know? ready. It's time. Let's I'm ready for this. it. I've been Let's waiting. Yes. <laughs> Um, I, I didn't, I didn't, I had these queer feelings. I remember going to college and uh, people thought I was, there was this lesbian RA named Sonia who happened to be the, was it the coxswain on the, on the rowing team. And when we would go to bars, sometimes people would think I was her and I would just play along because I got free drinks. Right. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm Sonia, whatever. I don't have to pay for drinks. Sure. I'm that lesbian for whatever. I don't care. Sure. All and Mexican then, Americans look alike. Why not? Right. Sure. We do. Yeah. We're related. That's it's exactly. Kansas. All, it's Kansas. All Mexican exactly. Americans look alike. Sure. Well, why not? you know, there were five <laughs> of us. That's exactly it. Um, and so I played along, but I never like, I would go out with men and I, I dated men for like a while. And I just thought, Oh, you know, this is cool. And anytime I had like a queer feeling, I just thought, Oh, you're probably just, who doesn't think about that? Whatever. And then once I graduate, like, you know, you're out drinking in bars and you just like make out with your friends. Cause you know, you're 22 and that's what you do. So you just make out with girls You make out, you don't care. You're just like being 22. And I never really thought about it. You know, I don't know what age you did it. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, I'm trying to think because I'm trying to think, yeah, I was 22 and I made out with this guy at my friend's party and I was 22 when that happened. So yeah. Okay, yes, sweet. Okay, I'm glad I'm not alone. There we I go. Out, when I first made out with this guy and I'm like, okay, All right, well, like, we got some things to process. Therapist. <laughs> and I, and I, oh, I had so it. cute though. Oh, he was a neat. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, how sweet is this memory? I love we're it. Still fr- we're still friends. It's fine. Oh, this is cute. But whatever. Uh, I just I, now. Oh, of course. Um, I uh, I didn't ever act on it. And then I had a friend, a childhood friend, come out to me. I found that you know she was a lesbian, and then she ended up dating someone I knew, like through like. I, this is when I used to like go out in like Lower Greenville like, and hang out at like Zoo Bar. Like this tells you everything about 2007. You need to know, but. Um, I would just hang out there and just like, you know, every now and then there would be like a really cute girl. Like, I feel like God, now that I think about it, God would give me these little like snippets of like you gay, but I just wasn't listening. Like there would always be like, these were just like, just like the burlesque dancer at the bar would randomly only be talking to me. And then we'd, she'd always be like, let's take a picture. And she was like, oh, I bet if we kissed, it'd look like a good picture. And I always was like, sweet. My friends are jealous. Hell yeah. Like my guy friends were like, what the hell? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't care. I didn't know like if this woman was hitting on me, hitting on me or not, but she assumed I was gay for some reason or whatever the hell she was trying to do. And I didn't really think about it as anything. And then I had like these lesbian friends and we would hang out and they're like, oh, let's go to like, uh, you know, let's go to Cedar Springs. Let's uh, go. We would go to, was it Havana on Wednesday nights? Like the Latin night. So, and they'd be like, 
I'd say something, but I can't remember, but one of them yelled at me. They're like, bitch, you part of the team. You just don't know it yet. And uh, I, they were like, bitch, you on the team. We're just waiting for you. And I'm just like, okay. Uh, but I didn't know. I didn't think about it. I just thought it was funny. Also, I was drinking a lot in my 20s because who wasn't? Um, so I just didn't really like, I just thought it was like, oh, I'm having a good time. Da, 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 da. And then it wasn't until I moved to New York City. And I mean, I'm dating guys and also just like, once again, just not, you know, finding the right person. And uh, I just kind of like, it just became a thing. I ended up dating one of my coworkers, but whatever. Um, but it was like, I want to, I noticed like, oh my gosh, I think I have a crush on this girl. Oh, I think I'm going to act on this. Oh, I think, oh, are we doing this? Okay, cool. And then it just became a thing like, oh, you want to try th this is okay. Figure it out, discover it. Um, and I, you know, I was like, okay, am I still into guys? Am I fluid? What am I? Am I what what's what's going on? And I couldn't I didn't process it. But all I know is that whatever I was doing with women, um, one, it felt right. Um, and two, I was really and am really good at it. Uh, but <laughs> like like a fish in water, you know, like this is where you're supposed to be. And uh it felt like assuring, like when like when you have that kiss with the woman that you're thinking, this is what was missing that entire time. This is what I was supposed to have had I known younger and it's like okay what do I do with this and it became a thing of me working it out on stage like you know I, I think I kissed a girl oh I think I'm dating this girl oh am I am I gay now like working it out like figuring it out on stage like the first place I came out on stage was this bar car called a uh, unicorn and like the Lower East Side it is no longer around but it was a it was the first queer show that I got to like be myself on, which I thought was very nice, oh. um, which was, it mm. felt special. Like I'm still friends, Bobby Hankinson. He's a very sweet comic. I'm actually staying at his place right now, which is great. Um, but, and then I, I lived in Queens. I lived in this part in Astoria and this like gay bar opened up. I mean, I'm talking like 400 feet from where I was living and I knew it used to be a gay bar, but it shut down and it opened up. And one day I went, just to get drinks and write by myself, like chill out, have some whiskey. And I'm talking to the owner and he's like, Hey, I think like, you know, I want to like start an open mic. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll run it. And then so right away, every week I'm like at this bar, like hosting this mic, like with queer people around me, which felt great, but it was open to all performers. But one of the things I needed to do was one day I was drinking a lot there and I was kind of buzzed. And I remember I'm like, I got to call my mom. I got to tell my mom I'm dating women. I got to come out. And I was... <laughs> had a shot of fireball, went outside, called my mom and was like, Hey mom, like, I think she was like, yeah, I'm like, I, I, you should, you should know like that I, that I date women. And I mean, it's my mom. I'm sure she knew like moms always know. And she goes, all right. Okay. And then she told me, you know, don't date anyone ugly. Uh, and that's, that was it. That was it. Like that was all she said to me. And I mean, oh. <laughs> don't date anyone ugly. I think, uh, and I haven't. I, mean, I, can res I, can, I can respect that parental request, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, as a parent, you don't want to put too many boundaries on your kid, but I'm going to say that's a valid boundary for a parent to say. I'm just going to put that out there. Don't <laughs> date ugly people. Make your lifestyle appealing. Like yeah, like, <laughs> ask yourself, can this person, will this person look good on your Instagram? <laughs> exactly. And if the answer is no, maybe give them the fake number. Right, right, oh. exactly. So that's important parental <laughs> advice. I like your mom. Thank you. Wow, so you actually use some of your experience for your material in comedy to actually like work through it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm that's that's awesome how Thank you. 
nice that coming out story was to your mom. <laughs> I mean, what was she going to do? Say, oh, I forbid it. I'm like, bitch, I'm in New York. Like, what you going to do? Stop me? <laughs> and it's it's one of those things, too, where it could be that's that's a defining moment where if the parent isn't supportive, there's a chance, you know, she'll never see her daughter again or you know what I mean mm-hmm. like in it's one of those things that I mean and then I found out later like she had a hard time like being like oh like Ronnie's gay now da, 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 da. and my sister-in-law was very much like you need to fucking support her like this is your daughter this is who she is she's like this is the happiest she's ever been like you should be you want her to be happy right and my mom kind of like was like oh okay she gets it and now she tries like you know she's she's very much like if she sees someone gay or queer like she can like they like it's like two guys a partner and they're talking or she's very much like oh my daughter and her partner she's like my daughter she like tries to plug it like oh you got we parted oh you you an ally now maria um <laughs> she's really tried to like wave that flag uh but she does she's she really it just it's a lot like she has to learn a lot of things every time i go home i'm trying to like explain you know like same things with like um like uh just like non-binary like explaining that to her explaining trans explaining pronouns um just in general because uh and I, I told her I'm like I go you, you just just this is what you do this is what you don't do uh and you know she she I shouldn't have to teach but she doesn't know where to look and it's just like you know what mom just you know I'd rather you ask me than ask someone on the internet and someone be like oh dang she no shit you know what I mean yeah yeah, I feel like, um, and I was talking about this to Aubrey previously, but like my parents and even my wife's parents, like they all have their coming out story themselves, even though they're not the ones coming out, but they almost come out as gay parents. And so mm-hmm. understanding the language, and I don't blame my parents for not knowing. I mean, otherwise they have no other exposure. And unless they're like awesome researchers on the internet, which none of them are, um, they have, I, I want them to ask me questions and right. I'd rather them get the information from me than erroneous information or have other things rehashed, like, you know, being gay is a sin because right. of religion or their background or their cultural, you know, their friends aren't going to help either. So, Mm-mm. you know, it's a big deal. I've never talked to my parents about how they talk about me to their friends. So she said, oh, and this is my daughter, Aubrey. And it it, it caught me off guard. Um, Outside of the fact that I've literally met these two women at least seven times. And she keeps (laughs) introducing me as if I don't know her two best friends. I'm like, yes, I know them. We've met several times in my life. I know them a lot. I know them. But... (laughs) She like, but she said daughter, and I'm like, oh, and it took me, um, it took me a moment to process it. Like, oh wow, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> right. But it was but it's so awesome. Cool. Yeah, I was like, oh wow, sweet. Um, so you talked about your mom. Um, what about your dad? Mm, I I always I've been thinking about that on stage too. Like, I don't talk about my dad enough. He's not. Um, he's like. I think he was just like, well, if you're gay, you're gay. Like, you know, <laughs> that's like, like that's uh, we always have like, well, if you're gay, you're gay. That's what my friends and I would always say. Um, but yeah, he kind of was like, all right, as long as like you're happy. Oh, because people at work will ask him too. Like, oh, is your daughter like, what's she doing in New York? Like, is she dating anyone? Is she seeing anyone? He goes, I don't know. That's her business. Like, he goes, I don't ask her that shit. He's like, I know. She, he goes, she does comedy. Like, 
And then he he hears like he's heard my gay shit. He's heard jokes where I talk about eating pussy, and he thinks they're funny. Like he thinks they're <laughs> hilarious. I remember after the show, he's like, "Oh, that one time, oh, I love that joke." And I'm like, "Cool." My dad like likes that shit. It's funny. He laughs at it. But and I mean, with my last partner, like he had a great relationship with her. Like they got along so well. They had their own little great rapport that I really appreciated. I think he's he's more along along the lines of like as long as I'm happy, he doesn't mm. he doesn't he doesn't really care. He's like as long as you know I'm. I'm healthy. I'm doing my things. Um, he's never really been like, oh, this gay, this, 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 this. Um, I think he's very much like, you know, if someone says something weird or something, he's just like, what's this guy's problem? But um, I will say that my younger brother is probably the best model of like, like uh, being a like cis straight man about like being aware of like, uh, just like, the queer world and how people identify and respecting them and how to talk to people, um, understanding pride, how to celebrate pride as a straight guy. Oh. Uh, he's mm-hmm. like my, like my ex, she met him. And she's like, your brother has no type of like problem with his masculinity. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I did that. Like, he know, like he remember he, he, uh, he was in some fraternity, he went to UNT and he was in a fraternity and um, two of his fr- fraternity brothers are gay. And he told me, he's like, hey, my fraternity brother is having a birthday party. So I got a boat um, and it's during pride. And he's like, he goes, like, uh, he goes, I don't, he goes, I want to go. I told him I go. And he was like, oh, there's, it's going to be gay. He's like, I don't care. I'm your brother. Let's fucking do it. Like he was ready. He's like, I'm ready to party. He's like messaged before. He's like, what do I wear? And so I'm helping him pick out his outfit. He's like, what do I wear? And it was sweet. And then he goes, so he goes, so like, and he goes, I, I, I want to tell people that I have a, a gay sister too. Cause like, I want them to know, like, I'm like excited about pride. And he's like, what do, what do I say? Like, what do I say? I go, just, just buy him drinks and like, just happy pride it up. And he's like, I just went, he goes, I just went and just opened up a tab. And I was like, happy pride guys. And he's like, I had a great time like yeah that's all you have to do like that's all you got to do like you could just shut up and he's like i just talked to all of them he's like i got coming out stories i was like oh my sister we you know we figured but he's like wait on her like it's amazing like that's the healthiest thing he has is this grasp on like just the queer world and um like being supportive because like he'll be you know at a bar and queer people happen to go in um that are obviously queer i should say and uh, you know, if they're having a problem at a bar or something like that, like, you know, he, if they can't get a drink, he's very much like, do you want me to order your drinks? I'll get your drinks. I don't care. Like, he's very much like, he tries to like step in and help where he can. Mm, and like, I'm just, and it's very, it's very sweet to know that he does that. And I'm like, that is like, to me, I'm like, that's like the, like best, like representation for me. I see in like my family, like how well someone can take it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome especially coming from, you know, someone from Hispanic heritage, mm-hmm. man, like, yeah, identifies as a cisgender man. Um, yeah. That's really powerful. Cause I feel like, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but at least for me, a lot of um, Mexican men that I interact with, they're so, oh, yo, they have so much issues with me not being with men. And yeah, it's almost like they find it threatening or they find my wife threatening. And I'm like, why just be your man self like right there <laughs> yeah so I'm like I go what oh because if I weren't with her then I'd be with you no homie like this reaction is why I'm gay because you're just so unsupportive of these women that don't want you but yeah my younger brother is that complete opposite um he's very much like you know if 
they're, you know, men come, because men come, men used to come up to my partner all the time. Are we having a conversation? Be like, oh, hey, you look good. And it's like, you can't fucking see we're together. You can tell by our body language we're together. Like, how do you not know? And, you know, if he, if he's, he's been at bars and he's like, I've seen guys talk to like clearly two girls on a date and he'll be, he'll be like, excuse me, I don't want to bug you, but like, do you, are, do you feel okay? Like, is that guy bothering you? My younger brother's very much like, hey, do you mind leaving like them alone? They're like, they're on a date. Like, they don't want you around them. And he's very much like trying, he's like, cause you know, this that's what sucks too, is like, these are grown men like that are threatened. Like they can clearly like hurt a woman or, you know, and that's what sucks. Uh, so he, he does his part, but that's uh, in, in the, in like the Latin culture in general. Oh, here in like New York city, Dominican men are uh, hate lesbians. Uh, like just very much staring and I'm like dude like what why are you so mad about me having my holding my girlfriend's hand um you know at the time like on the train like what about this how does any of this affect your life how does this affect your train ride you know what I mean yeah um so Monica, thank you so much for being on the show um, thank you Y'all, if you want to follow Veronica, uh, I have her Instagram handle is veros underscore got underscore jokes. Um, she does indeed post a lot about her key dog, but otherwise also find her on Instagram and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, Veronica, for talking to us. Thank you, Aubrey. Thank you, India. This was so fun. Um, I appreciate it so much. This is great. It Also, I was like, it gave me a distraction. Um, but y'all are more than a distraction. Uh, I just wanted to put that no, out there. Even if that's the case, we'll take it. You know. Thank you. It, it, and it, it's you a little bit of a little bit of help in this time. That's fine with us too. You can find more information about this episode and the show at our website, southernqueries.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Southern Queries. Queries is with two e's. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Some credits. Production, your hosts, India and Aubrey. Audio mixing by Allison Holly. Story research, Aubrey Calvin. Editing, India Bastia. This is Southern Queries. <laughs>